You're listening to the Make Love to Life podcast. So let's make love to life. Welcome to this special episode in which I am being interviewed by Angel Deer. He is a curandero, a medicine man, and a dear friend of mine. He has a shamanic healing center right outside of New York called The Sanctuary. And in this interview, we are going to look at the patterns in love and specifically the ancestral influence. So what is it about behavioral patterns of our parents and grandparents that influence who we are in relationships? And I think all of us can relate to this, no? Because to recognize a behavioral pattern in love is one thing, but how to break that pattern? Because patterns often can be self-sabotaging, self-destructive. They can work against the thing that we truly want, no? In love and, and, and relationship. So, bueno, in this interview, we go into patterns in love, we go into protection of the heart, and, and basically how to use shamanic rituals and tantric practices to move beyond difficult experiences of the past, move beyond whatever your ancestors couldn't move beyond, no? And how to dance, basically, with the dynamic of fear and desire, which are two components, basically two faces of the same coin. So, Angel and I delved really deep in this interview and i think you are going to really really enjoy this if you have any interest in shamanism if you have any sensitivity to energy and if you are curious to what the correlation is or could be between shamanism and tantra then you are definitely going to want to listen to this one enjoy so welcome Welcome everyone to uh, this evening with uh, Nalaya, Shekana, and myself. Um, we are going to explore a, a beautiful theme tonight. We're going to talk about our path of love and how do we sabotage it. And uh, we're going to mix uh, different teachings and wisdom from Tantra and Shamanism. So before I dive in with you, Nalaya, and thank you for being here. Uh, I just want to introduce her. And so Nalaya is an intimacy life coach and healer and retreat facilitator. Uh, she was born in the uh, Netherlands and raised in uh, various countries and traveled the world for over a decade. And she now resides in Thailand after having lived in the Sacred Valley of Peru uh, for five years where we met. And uh, she has trained in India, where she also lived for five years with various masters from the Siddha lineage and received initiations into Shaktipat, Kundalini, and other tantric traditions. Her sessions are based on a variety of intensive training she did in Asia, India, as well as Europe. And later, she worked with shamans in Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia, all from various tribal traditions. Nalaya has uh, worked with hundreds of clients, and I was one of them, <laughs> from all over the world. She implements a unique mixture of tantric techniques based on shamanic practices. And, you know, I invite you to uh, read more about her on her bio, but I want to, to dive in. And I want to say good evening for everyone and good morning for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so nice to see you. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, so maybe some of you have 
uh, heard or listened to our introduction talk that we did last week. And if you're listening to this recording, you can find it on Facebook, uh, on the Nalaya's page or on my page. Um, but I want to kind of dive in into the subject uh, right with you because there's a lot we want to talk about. And one of the subjects that's fascinating to me, and I'm sure to many people, are those patterns in love. I would say patterns <laughs> in general in our life, you know, the things we keep doing and redoing. And now really, they can become really self-destructive. You know, how sometimes it's a belief system has been there for so long, maybe since we were teenagers, uh, maybe even younger than that. And how somehow they lead us into sabotaging our paths of love. So what about patterns? Can you tell me a little bit about them? I'm sure everybody knows what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. I mean, you know, as, as humans, we are beings of patterns, no, like without patterns, I think we would, we would basically lose it. We would fall off um, the path. Um, But when do the patterns become self-destructive? I, I, I want to trace it back to like the, the understanding of the imprint of the ancestral lineage, no? uh, which is something that we talked about in the introduction. Um, so for the people who are listening, you know, it's kind of interesting to, to, to look at when were your parents born? Like what, what, what era was that? And what about your grandparents? And what about the parents of your grandparents? I mean, you can go as far back as, you know, seven generations, but perhaps just for these generations to take a look and say, okay, I see, for example, war is part of uh, the nearby generations that they had to go through. Um, and therefore, you know, the, the opportunities to heal were obviously much less than what we are, are, are able to choose from. Like we literally live uh, in a candy store, you know, it's kind of like you have therapies and therapists specialized in literally almost everything, right? And we have plant medicine available in a way that just wasn't uh, in the past. And so what happens is anything that literally was unresolved will be passed on through, um, you know, the blood lineage. And so very often we are born with um, a remembrance, like a, a cellular memory in our bones, in our blood that influences the way that we grow up. Um, of course, there's also the input of culture, of language, and the way that our parents raised us, or perhaps the influence of the absence of one of our parents. No, that's also something that can uh, cause a big imprint. And so as a child, we're quite moldable, right? Like we're, we're super open and flexible, and we adjust to, to basically belong, to belong to the community, to belong to the family. And then usually as we're teenagers, we, we start to create a mind of our own. Like, what do I agree with? And what do I disagree with? Uh, whether it is what your parents taught you or whether it is simply the evolution of um, our generation, right? Because the way that, for example, we explore our sexuality is something that a couple of generations ago, maybe the rebel would think about. But in general, it's not something that, you know, it was just very simple. It was like, yeah, you marry the first person you fall in love with and that's it. So if you just look at uh, something as simple as that, um, you know, it's it's very interesting to see um how we get influenced and how we then want to break out of that so what often happens is you start to make your own 
new beliefs uh, regarding relationships, for example, and sexuality, and how you wish to express yourself as a man or a woman, um, or, you know, uh, I, I know there's a variety of interpretations these days, so it's like, you know, however you want to express yourself goes basically against what the initial imprints were coming from your upbringing. And so that's the initial contradiction that is happening energetically. And so very often when people come to me to work uh, with me, we, we go to these contradictions first. We go to the contradictions that basically are the imprints from your ancestral lines versus where you are at with your new beliefs. Because when you look at it from any energetic viewpoint, um, you will see that, you know, no seeds can be planted in a garden that is full of weeds, right? Like we have to pull out the weeds in order to give these seeds the chance to sprout and to basically become whatever it is that they want to grow into. And so that's basically the initial work. Like the ancestral clearing is really all about that um, because otherwise you're, you're going to keep bumping against the same rock, basically, and so when do patterns become self-destructive? It's when we don't do the clearing. And when there's this default mode, as I like to call it, where um, we just slip back into default because that's the imprint that's been there for generations. And without the clearing, uh, that new belief that you have or that new approach that you want to do, if it doesn't have the space, you're just going to slip back into the comfort. And I call it the comfort, even though it's uncomfortable, because the comfort is the known. And the discomfort often lies in the unknown, right? Because even though people say like, oh yeah, you want an easeful, beautiful, you know, conscious uh, relationship, it's like, it is the unknown. And therefore the mind will, will try to fight it because the mind likes to hold on to patterns. And so when we work with relationships, we have to take the mind into consideration because the mind is the part of us that loves patterns. And so to let go of a pattern, we have to overwrite it with a new pattern. And so, yeah, that's the part of letting go an invitation, like inviting the new. Uh, you can't invite without letting go, but you can also not let go without inviting something new because, yeah, that will either mess up what's going on. It can open you up to attract anything or very likely you will slip back into the pattern. I love that um, because I've seen them so many times with myself. Um, so I feel, you know, there is a, yeah, there is a pattern that obviously we learn from our parents. So the things, you know, we, we believe that we do. And very often, uh, I mean, I know for myself, it's a case of our first marriage or our first, you know, expression of partnership because we want to reproduce maybe a system because we maybe we don't know yet fully who we are as being of intimacy you know as sexual beings as beings beings in a relationship and then i feel there's also the the wounded part that happened after that so we get into a relationship we get heartbreaks you know we get maybe in difficult relationship or even sometimes just normal relationship but we get bored or something happened and uh, our hearts shut down close down mm -hmm. and so we keep protecting our heart basically and that protection and the more we age, obviously, the more maybe we have had experiences and the more it can become difficult or challenging to really experiencing a love that is uh, safe or free or liberating 
because maybe there's always that little voice, oh, I'm going to be hurt. So, um, so do you separate those patterns, I would say, like that come from protecting the heart to the one that are ancestral? And how do we work with really softening the heart, which can be very tender to do that or feel very unsafe even sometimes, you know, very yeah. risky. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because the word safe really caught me um, because in a way, you know, we want to feel that safety to open the heart, but at the same time, it's, it's almost like, yeah, but somehow love always requires us to be courageous. It's like somehow there's always that somewhat of a sense of risk. Um, you know, the, the word courageous comes from cor, corazón in Latin. So it's like the word courageous literally comes from the heart, no? And so it's like, okay, we long for that safety, but in essence, the heart is, is a paradox, right? Love is a paradox. Uh, but let me answer your question uh, before we start philosophizing about the, <laughs> <laughs> the linguistics of things. Um, yes, they, yeah. So there is a separation, right, in, in, uh, in how to address these patterns and regarding protection and regarding having memories of your heart being broken. There is a, a difference between the ancestral part of it and the part that is simply your life experience in love. Um, but before I get into that, I just want to define, you know, in all these years that I've worked with people, I, I kind of concluded, uh, not that I've done actual, you know, scientific research, um, but it's like the thing I've concluded is that all intimacy issues stem from the fear of loss of love um, more than the longing to love. I would say that everyone longs to love and be loved. And, you know, the quest for love or finding your partner is probably the most basic and the most beautiful desire we can have as human beings. And yet the imprint of the loss of love is there for everyone. And so the loss of love, we can trace to the ancestral first, right? Because it's like, where was there um, an experience that, uh, you know, for example, this is a story I, I share with clients very often uh, regarding my grandmother, who was born uh, outside of marriage. Uh, there's a word for it, right? Um, anyway, she was her mother. So the mother of my grandmother got pregnant outside of marriage, which was obviously not done in the early 20s. And so they basically had to hide the pregnancy. The guy ran off and the family basically hid the pregnancy and hit the baby when my grandmother arrived. Finally, her mother found another man they, you know, created a new family and my mother, my grandmother kind of got, you know, shoved into that bunch of children, kind of like, oh yeah, she was always there. She's ours, no? And probably certain people knew, but, you know, with the, the Catholic background, it's kind of like you shove it on the, under the carpet and everyone kind of accepts that, that that's the way that things go. And so the imprint, um, there's, there's various imprints in this story, right? But one of them is the, you know, the tremendous pain that probably, the mother of my grandmother had to go through through the loss of this man she was with, who probably, considering the time, um, you know, she wanted to marry and had all these visions with, and probably the the pain she had to suffer, not only with the the prospect of insecurity of like, how am I going to raise this child alone, um, but also the the pressure that she was getting from her family because it was just not done right. 
um, didn't give her the chance to to overcome these emotions. So this is like quite a signature story that you know it's passed on, passed on, passed on. Because even you know my grandmother, but also my father, like they they weren't really the the generations that would go and think back about oh where are these imprints and how can I release it for <laughs> my ancestors. Um, so that's why I'm here doing that, no? Um, but bueno, the loss of love, this is just a, a simple ancestral um, example that I can give, which probably everyone who is listening will have a story like this, where there's simply an unresolved um, experience in the ancestral lineage that will influence this deep imprint of like, I am afraid of losing the love once I have it. And that means we step into love with somewhat of a protection, kind of like, okay, I'm open, but to this extent, because maybe if I don't open and open up more, it means that the pain is going to be less when I lose you, which isn't really the case, right? And then what you said, obviously, is super valuable, because, you know, we, we aren't anymore, uh, the people, well, some of us are, uh, but the people who, who marry the first person they fall in love with, it's like, very often, we do need to explore various types of relationships or or lovers and beloveds to to understand who we are first of all and then to understand what it is that we need in order to to feel whole and free within the commitment of choosing our life partner and so therefore we have to break our heart like Rumi says you have to keep breaking your heart until it's open so somehow there's a there's a mastery right in loving letting go and then having the courage to open it up again but opening up more because it's, it's, it's very paradoxical, no love in itself. Because on the one hand, it's like, yeah, the more you love, the more free you are. But somewhere in the mind, we believe that the more you open up to love, the greater the pain can be when you lose it or if you lose it. Right. But the thing is, if we close off, um, there's, yeah, there's two things I want to say about closing off. This is something that can happen either you know, you've just let go of a relationship, you, you're going through a tremendous heartbreak, and therefore you kind of keep your heart there, which means that, you know, the extent to which you trust in life, in love, um, you know, the extent to which you are open is a particular resonance, right? And so whoever you then invite into your life is going to meet that resonance. Like trust is almost like the, the magnetic field that determines who you attract into your life. Because if you are suspicious and your heart is super closed, you're going to attract that resonance, right? Whereas if you live your life open saying, you know what, I've had bad experiences, but it made me wiser. It made me, you know, more conscious, more aware, more capable of navigating life. So I'm going to open up and, and, you know, basically open to what it is that great spirit has in store for me, as opposed to what I think I need in order to feel safe. So when you open up, it's like, for sure, you're going to attract someone who can meet you in that space of like, yeah, vamos, like I trust. And so that's really interesting to kind of look at for yourself, you know, in the past, when did you attract perhaps a manipulative relationship or a narcissistic relationship, which is something I had to go through as well. Um, that gave me just so much understanding of like, where was I at when I attracted him into my life? Because you are the creator of your own reality, right? And we do attract partners into our lives to actually see ourselves better, even if it's from this vibrational perspective. And so, for example, I got tremendously hurt back then 
through this narcissistic uh, manipulative relationship. And I could have stayed in, I don't know, victimhood or defeat or somehow lack of trust in life because it was a terrible experience. That took me years actually to overcome. But instead, what I did is drink a lot of plant medicine and go layer by layer by layer to really see like, okay, you know, what was, what was this, why did he come into my life? Like, what is it that I need to align for myself to step up my game as a woman, as a sexual being, as a free human being who gets to create her own reality and basically release, release, release in order to change my vibration and therefore attract something entirely new. Um, But what you said in the relationship self, that was actually your question. So, you know, what I just shared was basically before you attract, but in the relationship itself, it kind of comes down to the same thing, right? It's like, okay, here you've attracted this beautiful partner. Um, You know, in the beginning when we're in love, it's really, um, it's easier, right? To remain open because you're mesmerized, you're in love, you see the beauty, uh, you're just getting to know each other. So it's like, there is this excitement. And then perhaps over time, there's these memories that come in like, oh, all my past relationships didn't last. So why would this one last? That's a belief, right? That could be a self-destructive belief. Um, And the heart will automatically, well, not the heart, actually the mind will want to close the heart. The heart wants to stay open, but the mind will come with memories, with imprints, with ideas uh, to protect itself. And I think that that's why practices such as, you know, meditation or ritual or prayer or, you know, whether it's plant medicine or working with the fire or anything that is basically there to bring awareness consistently, something like praying, you know, with the new moon and the, and the full moon, just something basic like that is to bring awareness, bring awareness, bring awareness, so that when these patterns want to slip back in, when we are in a relationship, like the pattern of closing off, the pattern of um, losing trust, it's like we have that awareness to see it for what it is. Um, and to be able to navigate it in a new way. Like, for example, I'm, I'm in my dream relationship, basically, like I'm with my life partner, like I've never felt so understood by, by anyone and so free to be myself. And I've never experienced what it's like to be such a team. Um, and so I know like, yeah, this, this is the person I'm meant to walk my path with. And on occasion, there's these old patterns that slip in just because we have to be in a relationship in order to purify the residue of it, right? And I'm saying this explicitly because very often people believe they have to release all of these patterns and heal themselves up to the point of perfection before they can love. Whereas there are certain things that actually we can only really release when being in a relationship. It's like in that realm with another in that vulnerability of opening up that is the space and probably the only space where certain like patterns can 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 come into uh, the reality as a projection Mm -hmm. uh, to be seen for what it is and to then be released and so regarding your your question it's like yeah we seek safety but actually it's it's like we have to continuously be courageous um, mm. yeah I love that this is beautiful so there's definitely I can feel that in what you explain and um, you know I've experienced it I'm sure with like many people here so there's that direct relationship between fear and desire there's this desire that that wants to reach 
that is softening and there is that mind, that fear that's slowed down and closed. And so, and we can, even in a beautiful relationship, we can feel, you know, that kind of duality and pull in or pull or open, you know, outwards. Um, and we're going to go into how to clear, you know, those shadows and to clear that and to be open, but uh, in a more, I guess, sincere way, maybe have a more authentic communications, being able to really voice, which is paradoxical in many ways, because when you feel that, you know, you might not want to talk about it, but in fact, the goal is to really be able to talk, which can even bring that fear even more of losing the love. What if I really share how I'm feeling because I'm not feeling great right now? because I'm going to be courageous, but I'm bringing that fear potentially of having a bad reaction or not being heard or not being seen. Um, I want to link that to specifically, I mean, on top of it, to really toxic relationship. Because I think, you know, everyone at some point in their life might have met a partner that was very difficult. Physically, emotionally, you know, many different levels of toxicity can be expressed. And so... Uh, what to do when we went through that? Because sometimes, basically, we are, you know, sexual being and being wired for intimacy, but our primary mechanism are all fun based on self-preservation, you know, on life-saving, you know, situations. Yeah. So what to do when we've been that? Because maybe our bodies are constantly triggered or constantly even in a state of hyper-awareness which makes them tight, which makes them close, you know. And I know with Tantra, we do that. And, you know, with the work I've done in sexual trauma, it's really key things, which even block intimacy, you know, at the end of the day, even if we want to get there, that's going to kind of shut us down. So what to do when we've been in those toxic or very difficult, you know, uh, relationships? Yeah. There's many ways I can answer this question. So let me start by looking at life as uh, an interconnected web. Um, yeah, like the flower of life, no? Like you are the center flower, uh, the center circle that is interconnected to all these circles that are a part of your life. And so if you see it like that, like the flower of life, your partner would be one of these circles, no? Like close to you. But we also have our inner circle of friends. And then, you know, there's family that kind of belongs to those inner circles as well. And then we have acquaintances or perhaps colleagues or whatever. And then, you know, there's the strangers, like, I don't know, the, the person at the supermarket that you always see. So we have these circles surrounding our circle. And when we come out of a toxic relationship, it's always interesting to analyze all the connections because it comes down to what is it that allowed you to attract someone who gets to overstep your boundaries or talk over you, or in my case, take away my voice or, you know, something. Um, so for example, let's look at it from the perspective of take away your voice. No, because this is what you also said regarding truth, like the expression of truth and the danger of truth sometimes, because it may trigger that same imprint of like, Oh my God, if I say what's really going on, they may run off or, or yada, yada, yada. So it's like, okay, this per the, the relationship has, has ended. You're in a, in, a, in a period of mending your heart. Um, it can be really interesting to, to see, you know, analyze where, what is your position in your relationships? 
what are the archetypical roles that you generally play out? And how are these roles influencing particular imbalances? So when we look at the voice, it's like, sure, maybe it's easy for you to express uh, wisdom and uh, advice for others, but perhaps you're not as open to receive it. Or when it really comes down to your vulnerabilities and things that you have to go through, perhaps that's really where the blockage is at. And so often what it comes down to is not to pray for the right person to, to come into your life uh, as a new partner, but rather to practice the person you want to be in all your other relationships and to really polish these edges, right? Because when we step up to become the person we want to be in our intimate relationship and are able to do that in our friendships and in our family dynamics, that already changes our vibration. Um, so for example, what, what I back then was doing uh, was looking at the fact that I wasn't going as deep as I wanted. And very often I saw these hunches of lack of um, alignment, lack of integrity, like uh, many people know on some level will say things, but then not follow up. Um, and I'd seen them and I'd seen them in that particular relationship, but I'd ignore it, ignored it. And, and so I think that that's really where the beginning of me losing my voice originated, no? And so it demanded me to, to basically move through my fear and start approaching my friends in, in that way to call them out. And nowadays I, I kind of, I kind of say to people like, yeah, this, this is part of the medicine that I carry. Like I'm there to reflect. I'm there to point out nuances and the subtleties in um you know the interactions or the things that i see that are either in alignment or not and so when you carry that ultimate truth to the friendships that you have it's like yeah that too may feel risky and trust me i've had very risky moments with certain friends where literally i felt like oh my god we're on the cusp of either needing to break this friendship or break through and more than often it was actually a breakthrough because it is actually what we long for. It's that level of authenticity that feels so courageous or risky that allows us uh, to travel deeper into love and recognition and respect, right? Because when we speak up uh, to our friends and, and basically say, here are my core values, this is how serious I take them, you either walk with me in this vibration or not, it's like, wow, how deep you then get to go through the heart, through trust, it's like trust then opens, right? To say like, okay, this is how we do things. Plus the universe is paying attention because everything is vibration. The universe is not just listening to, you know, what are the prayers that you put into the fire with the tobacco, praying for the ideal partner. No, the universe is listening to like, who are you as this ideal partner with your parents, with your brothers and sisters, with your community, with all the people that you love and care for? How are you... Um, in, in the sense of giving love and how open are you to receive love? And the more you practice that, which, you know, talking about safety, this is probably the safest uh, approach to healing these very fragile aspects of trust that have been scarred if we've been in a toxic relationship. Um, and then aside from that, you know, we can look into uh, shamanic rituals. So how can we, you know, become really clear in regards to what are certain events or memories or emotions that uh, are stuck, that haven't been processed? And usually I say to people, you know, if there's anything that you talk about regarding the past, 
that still triggers an emotional response, it means it hasn't been fully integrated. Like if, if I, for example, now were to talk about this narcissistic relationship that I was in years ago, um, I mean, it's, it's already more than 10 years ago. Um, you know, it was a big turning, pivotal point in, in my life that, you know, required, like I said, years to basically integrate all of it. It's like if I were to speak of him still with anger, because anger was one of the things I really had to go through, you know, uh, it's like if I still had that emotion, it would say it would literally give the indication of like, OK, clearly there's still residue. But if you're able to speak of it in the sense of like, yeah, I'm the creator, I created this and I got to learn from this and therefore step into gratitude and therefore be able to now live my life with my life partner. It's like that's when we know like we've truly overcome and so in a fire ritual, for example, and I think most people who follow you must have some experience with, with ritual, I'm assuming. And so, you know, when you look at it from the perspective of elements, we can literally create a ritual from any of the, the elements, right? Um, and even though I've trained in various traditions, you know, obviously India and Asia have their own ways of specifically addressing a ritual and of course, in Peru, where I've received most of the input from the Andean tradition, it's like, yeah, all these beautiful shamanic traditions, they have their ways of doing things. Um, but what I learned is that, you know, more than having the right seeds or having the right elements or whatever it is, how they do it, it's like, sure, all of that is really beautiful. But what is the most important is how deeply you feel connected to your intention. And how you then approach the ritual. And I'm saying it like that because very often I see people putting too much stress into like, am I doing it right? As opposed to really feeling like, what is it that I am releasing here? And maybe this sounds really basic, but I'm just emphasizing on yeah, it I because I've seen. Important, yes. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've just seen, even in my work, right? I'll, I'll give my clients um, the assignment to, to do a particular ritual. Um, but if the feeling is not there, then we're not clearing the patterns. Like there has to be this drive of like, I've had enough. Like I'm so ready to let this go. And here are the memories and emotions that are lingering that are influencing my day-to-day -day life that I now forever am ready to, to let go. Like it's literally as simple as that. And to then include something like, uh, you know, the river or, you know, a very powerful way for women to release energy specifically regarding ex-partners is of course their moon blood to collect the moon blood and make an offering like that either to the earth or the the river or some kind of water source um but of course the fire is super transformative no the fire has the capacity to literally burn away and so it's it's really about training the the intuition to know like which element do i want to work with and how do i want to approach it um but if you ask me it's like yeah it's essential to first go into ancestral clearing before we go into ex-partner clearing because when we clear ancestral residue we know that whatever let's say karma it is that remains um, really is personal because once you clear the karma of the ancestors it's kind of like yeah whatever other patterns are present in your life will definitely be the ones that you have come to clear as opposed to carrying this backpack full of uh, whatever it is that the ancestors haven't been able to, to resolve themselves. And so, yeah, ancestry first and then ex-partners uh, and approaching it in a ritualistic way is, 
Yes. And so we're going to go a little bit deeper about you know, talking about intimacy through the medicine wheel a little bit later uh, in the talk today. Um, I love the analogy you made about, well, don't look just at your partner, but look at your friend's relationship. You know, look at obviously your parents' relationship. We talked about that. Look at your colleague's relationship, you know, or even the person at the supermarket. Um, do you feel that there is always that connection? That, or do you feel sometimes it's really a, a love experience, like or an intimate experience we had with someone and it's hard to see it in our relationship? Or would you say even from a tantric perspective, it's always said, well, you know, it's something you carry basically. So it's going to happen everywhere and you can find that clearing. You can find that experience everywhere you look. Maybe not in your best friend, but maybe even in your best friend, the way you talk, the way you approach her or him. So is, does, is that in the tantric perspective to say, well, you know, everywhere you turn, basically, whatever you look at, you're going to bring your I mean, shadows, yeah, your wounds, it's, it's your inner child, you know? I mean, there's, there's ways that we hide ourselves, no? So like when I, when I speak of looking at your other relationship, it often is hidden in like the nuances. Uh, but before I go into this, I, I do want to kind of make an exception on the rule. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because I'm I'm preparing to to record a solo podcast soon regarding the topic of karmic relationships, which is basically these these super intense um, experiences that we can have, uh, you know, feeling ultimately connected to someone that perhaps if that old energy of perhaps a past life wouldn't be there, we wouldn't feel that attracted to them. And those kind of relationships, it's like, oh my God, they can become so sticky and so magnetic and so almost to the, to, to the point of being impossible to let go of, even though they're so tremendously destructive. Um, this is something that has come up various times in, in, in the last weeks with the type of clients I've attracted. And I have a story of my own. And so I, I feel like, okay, I'm going to put all of this in a podcast because that in itself obviously is is a whole topic, like we could have just had this talk on this. So I just want to make that exception on the rule because there are these wild experiences that are just mind-blowing that sure, there's essences of our patterns, but sometimes there, there can just be this overwhelming, overpowering connection um, that is inexplainable, right? Like, sure. Well, there's always a medicine. destructive aspect in it. You feel there's always some yeah. destruction or, you know, kind of an addiction, basically. You know, there's a good side, yeah. there's a really bad side of it. Yeah. And people love the idea of, um, you know, twin flame and all of this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a person who, uh, you know, is very active in groups, but I know there's a lot of this, um, you know, divine masculine, divine feminine, twin flame. Um, but there's various ways of looking at it. Like, okay, twin flame can be interpreted as you have found your life partner, or it can be interpreted as, you know, this is one of these karmic situations where you're constantly freaking triggering each other in the core of your deepest wounds. And the way I see it is like, yeah, there is this old connection, right? Whether you come from the same soul group or it's a past life or it's something, it's like you come with a baggage of unresolved issues, but you also come with, this gigantic capacity to love each other because you've loved each other for God knows how long. And so the way I see it is like, yeah, you come together because you have the power in your heart to actually overcome. But because those core wounds are so painful, most people keep on looping back to um, coming back together and then wanting to run away and coming back. To 
so anyway, before I go too deep into this um, uh, example, because I think some of you know the people who are listening, like you say, many people will have had some experience in a relationship that was destructive or toxic. And if it's of this kind, it is a little bit of an exception on the rule because it really demands more concentration when it comes to like, and determinism and resilience in really saying, I'm not just going to do one offering or one ritual of burning. I'm going to continue burning, burning, burning until I really feel this has left me. Um, because sometimes a single ritual is enough. And sometimes we, we have to just really prove how determined we are. And then the other thing that you said regarding, you know, is it really that obvious that our patterns play out in our surroundings? Um, sometimes it's hidden in the nuances, right? So the example I want to give is uh, being in control. Because I think that this is something that um, can, we, we can tie into, um, yeah, so control and trust, uh, control you know, basically being connected to protection, which we talked about earlier. Um, but control and trust are the opposite vibration because the more we trust, the less we need to be in control. And the more we control, the less room there is to trust. And so when we feel we have to protect our hearts, we often step into somewhat of a controlling mechanism. And so when you asked me about, you know, are these patterns always obvious in the way that we interact with our friends or family or colleagues or who we are it's like i think when we put a loop on when am i in control because you're literally in control when you give no like when you're in a position of guiding or giving support or um, being a listening ear or um, taking the lead or whatever no it's like yeah we are in control or even giving love Whereas we are out of control and we have to be in a position of receiving and therefore opening to trust when you receive support, when you receive a helping hand or a piece of advice, or when you are receiving love in whatever form it wants to come, you have to be open and therefore trust and therefore let go of control. And so when you want to look at where are your patterns hiding that are preventing you from seeing you know, these nuances in the way that you interact with your friends, for example, it's very interesting to look at control because control is the thing that clings us onto this idea of safety, um, which just isn't really possible when it comes to love because that differentiation I just created between trust and control, it's like, yeah, but love requires you to trust. So the more there are these nuances of like, I can do it all myself and I know how to take care of myself and I can find the answers everywhere and I have all the answers and I'm always there for everyone else, but no one's really there for me. It's like, that's when you know there's there's layers of control because it's simply easier to be in that, let's say, masculine position, whether you're a man or a woman. No, it's like taking the lead. Um, but then to step into this more abstract form of receptivity of the feminine in whatever way means to let your family and friends be there for you or to to let them give you a perspective that perhaps you don't agree with but to instead of um, meeting it with stubbornness to for once actually open up and see what it means to receive in that way and let go of control and experiment with trusting more and it's that kind of experimentation that is kind of safe to do before stepping into a new relationship 
Mm -hmm. So I feel it's very linked to the masculine and feminine archetypes in so many ways. You know, the doing and the speaking or that, you know, that kind of more controlling and the feminine archetype, more receiving, surrendering and things like that. Uh, you know, independently of if we're in a male or female body or either we identify, I guess. Um, yeah. But do you feel like, obviously, we're living in a time where um, there's a lot of wound on both sides. You know, I don't think just the feminine has been wounded, but the masculine has been wounded, you know, and we're kind of playing bounce back about who is responsible, and who should do what. And, but there's some kind of relationship in the way even of which we treat the earth you know, and, and the way we treat the, the women. And so we can see the things playing on, on so many layers of our culture, our society, and the way we relate to each other. So I want to weave that with the concept of safety because, you know, I remember sometimes someone telling me, well, you know, it's very hard to feel safe as a woman or to trust again. Or another comment, you know, that another client told me recently, I think I talked to you about it um, when we were preparing, say, well, there's no good men out there. Or, we can't trust men, really, you know. Or, you know, even an archetype of, I think, is of control, which is, well, you know, I don't need a relationship. You know, I'm fine. I'm fine on my own, you know, which could be a way kind of deflecting, you know, it's like, oh, I'm very free. I don't need anyone, but it could be a way to control and avoid potentially going really deep with a partner. So how do you see that playing already for, you know, I guess for, for many people, like I know it's a broad question, but how does the archetypes play and the wounding of those archetypes play in that dynamic? Yeah. When, again, I just want to go back to the simplicity of understanding how your thoughts influence your vibration and a repeated thought, a belief is a repeated thought. So if I continuously think or even speak the words, there are no good men out there, I repeat, repeat, repeat. And there is these, you know, um, what do you call it? Electrical um, currents running through the brain when we speak or when we think. And the more we repeat or the more we receive something, like uh, our parents repeatedly said certain things to us as children, and that's how we created our belief system, right? And so to overwrite, those beliefs, we have to continuously think a new thought in order for that to become a new belief. And so it's like looking at it from the dark aspect and the light aspect, the darkness being the release, the letting go, the um, understanding like where are the limited beliefs, where are the shadows, where are the archetypes that are not serving me to release that through ritual. And then to look at, okay, what is it that I do want to invite into my life, um, which perhaps I don't yet fully believe in that. There are good men out there. But I mean, if you want to go through that transformation, you have to put in effort. Like it's so freaking easy to just rest in the idea that all men are bad and I can't be safe as a woman. And um, what's the other one? I'm not made for intimate relationship, like not in this lifetime. Like all of that kind of belongs to, um, you know, self-protection and sabotaging what you are capable of attracting into your life. And so to practice trust comes down to, yeah, do, performing these rituals to release and be serious with yourself if this is what you want. Because like I said, you know, to change vibration really means um, being consistent, being persistent and being connected to what is that intimate desire from the heart that 
you know, feels so fragile, but is possible. Like anything is really possible when we step into doing the work. Um, and so, yeah, it's vibration. If I continuously, um, yeah, repeat, 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 oh, men are bad. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's the vibration I carry. And therefore the universe is listening to the subject and will prove my point. If you know what I mean, it's like, yeah, if that's what I believe, I will get um, confirmation of that. Whereas if I open up to the idea that um, the universe has good things in store for me, that there's proof that I can trust, that, um, you know, I'm worthy of uh, ease in my relationships, then there will be proof of that. And so it's it's a journey, right? Like we can't step from having multiple abusive or bad relationships in some layer of existence, whether it's emotional or sexual or physical or, you know, it's like, sure, there's pain there and it deserves all the compassion and softness and, and, and love and healing to, um, you know, settle in and be integrated. Like by all means, don't push yourself to get to the part where you start trusting in something better but all I'm saying here is that as long as you continue to think in such a way, you'll attract exactly that. And that's really coming from the understanding that, you know, you are the creator and you create with your thoughts. And a prayer is basically a conscious thought. And this is why ceremony and ritual and having these um, consistent moments of prayer are so important because, you know, that's what the native uh, traditions all understood. The reason they pray at sunrise or sunset or with the moon cycle or the sun cycle or creating ceremonies or or like just moments of gathering and speaking out loud together uh, is to bring us into alignment um, rhythmically, right? Like, because if we pray with every moon cycle, it's like it's this rhythm of checking in with ourselves and consciously sending out thoughts, which is a prayer. But in essence, in between those moon cycles, we're constantly praying with every thought we have. And so the more we practice the pray, the more aware we become of what our thoughts are so that the next time you find yourself in conversation, for example, um, I mean, I, I've, I've seen this, I'm sure men perhaps do something similar, but I've seen this predominantly amongst women where there's this pessimistic idea, like you said, like all, all men are bad because um, they've had a, a series of encounters that just... I don't know, men who were immature or emotionally unavailable or just couldn't commit or whatever. So there's this idea. But then women come together and they kind of promote that idea and throw in more um, experiences to kind of support that idea. When you pray consistently and you want to change the way that you think, you then also need to have the uh, taking of initiative uh, to either stop your girlfriends and say, hey, listen, I actually want to not invite this vibration into my life again. Uh, so can we change the subject? Like, that's what I meant by, you know, how, do, how are we within our friendships as well? It's like the universe is constantly paying attention. There's nothing that great spirit is not aware of, no? And so to then either change the subject, change the vibration and redirect it into some other topic. And if it makes it easier, you know, step away from the topic of men and relationship completely or walk away from the conversation um, if that's not in you in that moment to say hey listen guys we're not going to talk about this it's like mm. if you're not there yet just walk away and 
it, it, it really is all about like creating that awareness and, and having these, uh, yeah, just the, the connection to the nuances in the way that we're sending out vibration continuously to the universe. And so thoughts or even saying things like, I'm not meant to be in a, in an intimate relationship. I think last week I, I shared with you, I have yet to meet the person who's not in protection when they say that. Uh, it's like, yeah, it may seem as like something really powerful, like, oh, wow, this person has determined for themselves that, um, you know, they, they actually have that wholeness within. But if your wholeness is truly whole, then you are whole enough to invite love into your life. Mm. So thank you for that. That's quite fascinating. So I, I want to go into the medicine well and directions because we talked a little bit about it here. Uh and it's the work we've we've done together when we when we work together and I already you know enjoyed it and I'm sure people here are going to enjoy hearing about it. So it's really how we interpret intimacy through that medicine wheel and and looking at the elements and how they form wholeness basically in our search for love. How we can look at every aspect of it. And I would love as you as you talk about that maybe if you can talk a little bit about maybe some rituals you know attached to it or. You know, obviously, we're not going to go in depth in the time that's left, but so some people can have some ideas. They are, yeah, you know, if I work with the fires, what I could do, and this is related to this experience in my life or that pattern that I have. Yeah. So, talking about the medicine wheel is always a little bit complicated because every tradition has the elements situated just a little bit differently, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm least familiar with North America and I don't know if Canada and North America have the same way of, of looking at things, but I know Central America does things differently than South America. And even within the South American traditions, there's a different combination of like which element sits in North and East and South and West. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just, just as like a disclaimer, because <laughs> I'm sure people are, are listening who, who have a particular way of working with a particular yeah. medicine wheel. And so I definitely want to encourage you to work with what is familiar for you. Because uh, I mostly, obviously, are, am influenced by Andean tradition of Peru and the medicine of the Chacana. And, um, but yeah, to divide it in earth, air, fire, and water. Um, yeah, in the earth, it is, it is literally your body, right? It is the roots. It is the point where we go to the ancestors and really look at, um, how clear are your roots because the more clear they are. And this is the paradox of doing ancestral clearing. It's almost like, I remember when I was doing deep, deep work regarding my roots, it, there was also this fear of like, hold on, I'm clearing my roots, but does that mean like I'm cutting myself off? Um, but actually what it taught me energetically that there is no such thing as cutting, first of all, um, in, in, in any way. I don't believe there's, there's cutting with ex-partners either, especially if we've made love. It's like that energetic cord exists and we've chosen them as part of our teachers, same as family members, whether you are in contact or not, whether they've passed or not. It's like that, that core, it exists and it cannot be released because you've chosen to be part of that network. And so when we clear, it's like you're not liberating, um, in the sense of flying off, disconnecting yourself from the tree, 
but rather clearing in a way that brings you closer. In um, so, for example, if there's abuse in in the ancestral line, it doesn't mean that you know by clearing the the unspoken of your ancestral lineage uh, that um, how do I say this that you'll be released from from that trauma, but rather that you're connecting more deeply to uh, the purest essence of the souls that are part of your ancestral lineage so that you can receive their wisdom coming from a soul interpretation rather than a wounded human being who did things that were wrong, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, wait, I think I'm going a little bit off track. Where, where were we? No, you're good. When we're talking about the past direction. The earth. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's where the ancestral clearing is really important to basically bring you closer together um, and have that support. So that's where the paradox is happening, no? Um, then in air, but to the, divide it in, in, in slices of intimacy, you know, the earth is, is really the embodiment, the, the settling into yourself and the, the right to exist and to take your place, your rightful place. Um, like, I think the whole topic of belonging is something that is really very strong for all of us, no? Like whether we have had a really safe upbringing or an unsafe upbringing. I think a lot of people who are either connected to the medicine path or the tantric path or are, are in, in some kind of search, it's like it often originates from perhaps not having felt um, part of, of your tribe, like looking for your tribe, right? And so earth is really about that. Like how can you take your rightful position by honoring your ancestral roots? And for example, in my case, you know, being from Holland, having been raised, Um, in various countries. And then when I was old enough, when I was 19, I flew off in in all kinds of directions, no? So initially I was running away. But when I really rooted down in Peru, it was because I had established that peace with my ancestral lineage. And it was through that peace that I got the support to actually root down in that way. Um, and so this stability within yourself is really important when it comes to intimate connections of any kind, but especially in partnership. And then air is obviously all about the communication, um, but also intuition, instinct, the connection to vibration, to listening to the invisible world, right? But as you know, the work that we did together, it's like when I work with people, it's very much not about what I think uh, the connection to air is, but rather what is your connection to air? What is the first thing that you think of? And so for whoever is listening to this uh, session, you know, write down the elements and kind of just jot down certain ideas or interpretations that you have with this element, because it is very personal. It's like, sure, from, you know, a tribal understanding we have all these interpretations of, you know, what I just said about air, like, sure, it's the communication, it's the invisible realm, it's all of these things. But to really see, like, okay, um, what is your first impression of that uh, element? And what you're probably going to see is that the element you're most comfortable with, it's going to be easy to write down these characteristics of, like, oh, yeah, air is like this. Da, 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 da. And then maybe you get to fire and you're like, oh, fire. No, and then when there is that blockage of of the initial being able to write down exactly what all of this means, it will reveal that that's exactly where your attention wants to go. 
And so when I do this work with my clients, where we move each month through one of the elements, looking at intimacy, at relationships, at bringing yourself into alignment, it is looking at the wholeness of these four elements as this is you in your ultimate expression. And when we bring all of them into um, alignment, it means that you ultimately will experience a greater uh, balance in your life, in who you are as a human being and more intimately connected to yourself so that you can bring that uh, sense of connection to a partnership or to anyone you are connected to in your life. And so what I have seen is that usually where the blockage exists, uh, so for example, if communication was uh, something that was a reoccurring theme in uh, the relationship, for example, or perhaps a sexual blockage, which is more fire related, very often where the supposed blockage is, is exactly where the power is hidden. So it's like the thing that we feel we're most disconnected from is actually where this great power is of your capacity to uh, connect with this element. And that's why separating each element and really going deep with each of them separately will give that understanding of like, okay, if I just for this month put my focus on fire, what are all the lessons that I can learn from fire without letting it be influenced by anything else that is going on? And the same for water. So the reason I work with earth, air, fire, and water is because it ends in water. And water is often one of the elements that is, um, yeah, that requires the other elements to be in balance in order for us to go into this abstract realm of feelings and the intelligence of feelings and being able to connect those feelings and trust in what we feel through the body. So it's like, yeah, the earth has to be stable in order for us to allow the waters to flow. But we also need the connection to air, which is the intuitive understanding of what is happening to the emotions, but also the capacity to express ourselves so that when these big waves of water come, we are able to hold it and express and release whatever needs to come. And then, of course, fire is the sexual element. So if I were to translate this in, you know, in a partnership, it's like when we fall off balance with uh, our partner, usually it's just one of these uh, layers that is requiring attention. So for example, if, you know, the communication sucks for a moment, it's like, how about to then just bring all the attention to the air or to balance it out by bringing all the attention to fire, for example, so for a moment, say, okay, we're stuck in our communication, but at least our lovemaking is still great. So let's put all our energy there so that we raise um, the sense of connection in this element so that we can start feeding that power into the air and find a way to bring harmony in the air as well. Like this is just a simple example, no? But in the work that I do with people, it's like, yeah, fire is usually the part where we start working with um, sexual energy in a personal way first. So if people are in a relationship, um, obviously there are tantric practices that you can do with your partner. Um, and what I've learned is that there's just something really powerful to having this very intimate relationship with your own sexual life force energy, um, to know the nuances of the way that it moves and to know exactly uh, where you are at within yourself 
and how to guide that energy and your capacity to expand that energy with yourself before bringing it into partnership that just allows you to accelerate that energy together in in a much uh, greater way than if, for example, you're trying this for the first time and coming together, like, because it's a very powerful energy and it can go in all kinds of directions, right? It can either be the guide and basically take over and take you where the energy itself wants to go. Um, for example, coming from the primal, instinctual, procreational understanding of like, wow, this is where we're going. Or because Tantra basically removes us a little bit from the primal instinct of procreation, right? Because Tantra is kind of like, okay, let's play with this energy and let's expand it and let's see how far we can take the orgasmic capacity before orgasming or learning how to orgasm in different ways. And so that training of the fire element in itself, um, again, has an impact on water because the more we are able to expand our orgasmic capacity, the more we are able to sit in overwhelm in a very sensual, exciting way. But it's kind of the same as what we do when we're emotionally overwhelmed, right? It's like, how can I sit in comfort in this discomfort? And how can I allow the overwhelm and how can I maneuver what is going on and still be able to read the nuances of what is happening? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I like going through earth, air, fire, and water to really um, see how each of the elements can influence the power of the other or how one element can influence the other to bring it into balance as opposed to nipping at the one that is hurting. So do you feel, I mean, obviously I know because I did some work with you, but I know even in, in trauma approaches, you know, we look at the earth, the body element, the physical body, because it holds the trauma and the tensions in the body. And unless, yeah. you know, we can really release those tensions, it's very hard to have a good intimacy with someone, physical intimacy, because the body yeah. is so tense and guarded. And so... Speaking of earth element, you know, and, and really opening that law of potential, you know, the roots of it, like really making our body feel safe first, even with ourselves. Is there some practices or rituals that are really good for, for reconnecting to this body sensation, to reconnect really to those feelings? So then we can allow a lot of fire moving through, or a lot of waters and emotions moving through. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy you brought this up because, um, Sometimes there's a little bit of an addiction to healing and digging and finding more memories or more things regarding past relationships or ancestry or whatever it is that is contributing to this stuckness in the body, as we say, or even the, you know, the protection of the heart. Um, and so to balance it, it's like, yeah, sure, we can be the spiritual warrior, but we can forever continue to try and prove how much of a spiritual warrior we are. And sometimes when it comes to like a body being locked up a little bit, it can be either really obvious or it can be in the nuances, right? Uh, sometimes if, uh, for example, there is a tension and we go into the tension, it actually has the counter opposite effect because the body wants to relax, right? Uh, so the depending what the approach is, of course, there is many beautiful techniques that can help the body relax so that through the relaxation, um, the tension can be released. But very often I do feel like we're poking at the place that hurts the most. And how is this meant to um, heal and not provoke the initial trauma that you're pretending to heal, if that makes sense? 
Mm-hmm. And so that's why I like working with orgasmic energy because it's like, wow, when you start working with self-pleasure practices intentionally, they become basically the therapeutical sessions, right? So very often I'll ask people to stick with one intention. So don't go intention, uh, don't go changing your intention uh, continuously because that will prevent you from really going deeper and deeper and deeper. So for example, what if you do self-love or self-pleasuring practice with the intention to open up to trust, which is a pretty big one. And it's the intention itself is quite vague, which means you allow the universe to, or the orgasmic energy to really guide you to the place that perhaps is in your blind spot. Sometimes when the intention is too specific, we're unable to get there because we're still controlling where the energy is going. So if you were to just put an intention that says, okay, I open up to trust more. And you start working with your sexual energy uh, and opening up to guiding the energy through your limbs, through your organs, through the chakra system. Um, In a moment, I'll I'll give a more specific uh, uh, instructions. But basically what the energy will do, because this is life force energy, It has the capacity to give you pleasure. It has the capacity to create, whether it's life or a project. And it has the capacity to heal. Like that in itself is what the sexual energy wants. And so when you start working with it uh, consistently and intentionally, it has the capacity to dissolve specifically the places that are contracted or tense um, because you're working with pleasure. So it's like, it's the thing that makes the most sense if you are, for example, stuck in some kind of healing process where you're overthinking, uh, you feel too tense, you feel shut off, you feel like, oh my God, all of this is too much hard work. It's like, okay, if, if this is happening or, and I'm sure everyone's had an experience like that, it's like, okay, just drop analyzing for a moment. That's the mind, that's air and stop feeling like, Everything has to, you know, be fluid when it's not, when it's stiff. It's like, okay, how about then bringing all your awareness to your sexual life force energy for a moment, take the mind out of the game, work with a powerful intention such as I open up to trust more or I am open to trust more and start working with a tantric practice. Um, Let me just take a sip. So a very simple, because I don't know exactly uh, where people are within their experience, um, but I'll give you a very simple um, instruction of uh, an edging uh, practice that allows us to expand the sexual energy. Now, I know that uh, quite a few people um, join you in your breath work. And so obviously the breath is very important in these kind of practices. And so in Tantra, I want to encourage people to to work with open mouth breathing, which I think in in rebirthing sessions is exactly what you do. And so for the yogis out there, um, you know, the pranayama is often just through the nose and it has the purpose to connect you to your higher chakras and basically still the mind, no? Obviously you can do pranayama before doing a tantric practice, but once you are in the tantric practice, it is very beneficial to open the mouth because it will send the energy into your body and especially into the pelvic area um, and allow that part to basically open and relax. And so in the self-love practice, it's basically, yeah, you would love your body in the way that you were used to. 
um, but really take your time. And I would want to encourage people to, to tickle all the senses because that's the approach of Tantra, right? It's like it approaches all the senses. So, you know, set up a romantic atmosphere by lighting candles and incense, put on music, perhaps have either pieces of fruit nearby or chocolates, drink a cup of hot chocolates at your intention to really tickle all the senses to be part of what's going on and, you know, find the pleasure in your body before touching your genitals to already allow the energy to wake up in the body and really get yourself in the state of relaxation as opposed to like, oh, this is an assignment and I'm moving towards the edge of orgasm, but really like make love with yourself. And the idea is to raise the energy um, to close to orgasm, basically. And once you are there, you breathe in through the mouth. And if you're visual or kinesthetic, the idea is basically to breathe up the spine and breathe out down the front of the body, which they call a microcosmic orbit in Taoism. So it's basically you create this cycle. And if you're not familiar with breathing, I definitely recommend people to do this breathing exercise before attempting to do it with the orgasmic energy now, because it requires a little bit of concentration in the beginning. So you breathe in. And you can go slow or fast. Um, but the idea is basically, yeah, to create that circuit. And what happens in that circuit is you allow the orgasmic energy to be fueled and taken and absorbed into your body and allow it to go where it needs to go. So if your intention is, I am open to trust more, the energy is likely to go to the place where it can open more. So for example, you might be able to feel uh, a pulsation in your throat or in your chest or in your solar plexus. Um, maybe in the beginning, it's, you know, you're, you're thinking a little bit too much about what to do, where to focus this and that, but that's why repetition is so important. Um, and I actually want to encourage your listeners to, to do this. So, I mean, say to yourself, okay, I'm going to work with one intention for 10 days. Why not? If you really want to do it, do it 21 days, but you know, 10 days is also okay. Or maybe even four days or three days, but just kind of experiment with like, okay, what can I achieve with this energy? And as a side note, I also want to say like, even people who are experienced with Tantra, me, myself, for example, I still love going back to these basic practices because it's like, I get to learn something new every time. And the idea is basically, okay, you find the edge of your orgasm, you circle it, and you open up to feel what is happening. And then again, you do another cycle. So again, you self-pleasure, you allow the energy to raise up and reach the edge of orgasm to then again, breathe into this cycle to again, feel what is happening. And in the beginning, perhaps you're able to do one cycle uh, two cycles, but the idea is like, how can you train yourself to do more of these cycles? Because each cycle is almost like heightening the energy. It's almost like you're taking the wave of the previous cycle and enhancing it, enhancing it in pleasure, enhancing it in sensitivity, in, 
yeah, just beautiful, very powerful energy. And so it is basically like a rubber band or a balloon, however you want to see it. How can you stretch it more and more that initially will feel uncomfortable, will feel like, oh, you know, how can I release this tension? But to really through the breath, learn how to relax in the tension and then find the, yeah, the beauty and the relaxation in that tension. And that's how we basically play and dance with this energy whilst allowing the body to learn to relax, the nervous system to learn to relax and to use pleasure as a way of releasing trauma, um, releasing tension, releasing or rewriting, um, you know, the, the beliefs regarding uh, trauma or restriction or blockage or protection. Um, and, and it's just a very beautiful very powerful way of doing so as opposed to needing the mind to be involved in in everything that we do regarding healing so really allowing the power of pleasure to be part of that journey i feel this is so uh counterculture in, in so many ways you know what you're sharing you know i know for so for many people uh it might be uh you know something like oh wow I mean, I know you're from the Netherlands, <laughs> where we are in, in America, and this kind of, uh, I feel, like, oh, there's a little culture shock. What are we talking about right now? How uh, did we end up here? Uh, I'm just putting it out there just to just to clarify the air here on the sessions. But um, what I really love about it, and that you talk beautifully about, is that really we're such in the mind culture, we're such in our head. And even in the healing culture, you know, it's, it's like we have to go about it. We have to write about it, think about it. You know, there's, there's a lot of mind involvement. And like breathwork, tantra, that's why I think those practices are really beautiful. They really go back to our bodies and yeah. relearning, you know, to feel them because then we realize, oh, my God, maybe I don't feel much at the beginning. Or maybe yes. there was something there that I didn't even know that's there. But now I know it's there. I can feel it. And so it's really this reconnection to our earth which is so beautiful when we think of how parallel it is to what we're trying to do on a more shamanic perspective, which is really that reconnection to the earth. But we can't do it if we don't have a connection to our own bodies. And, you know, there's this like such a beautiful thing. I mean, I'm sure many people read the theme today and want to say, well, do I bring my relationship alignments and all of that? And in fact, those practices say, well, basically feel into your body and relax your body and do it with pleasure or joy or, you know, even soft touch, you know, whatever it is, instead of beating up at it like we've been doing with yours or like we're doing with any of our traumas. Maybe we go at it and say, there's something to fix there and I'm going to get rid of it, which is a very masculine archetype. And here mm -hmm. we're back into, you know, softening the bodies so we can soften our hearts, so we can soften yeah. between you and I each other's you know so yeah we're almost to the end but i don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that because i think there's such a beautiful here and way to kind of probably completely turn upside down even the way we look at our own healing and our relationship and get out of this very um yeah brain space you know very heady See. space and to turn back into first i'm going to try to feel my body and hear what's there 
Yeah, one thing you said uh, I thought was really important to point out has to do with like uh, not feeling so much. Um, mm. Yeah, which is part of the journey, right? It's like sometimes I think, you know, I, I don't know what people's walls look like on Instagram, but mine are very much influenced by like people teaching about Tantra and all of these things and, and sexuality. And recently I, I, I thought about it. It's like, whoa. You know, someone who's not that connected to their sexuality, but has an interest. And, and that's what I meant by like, where you think your blockage is, is probably where your power is hiding. So if somehow you feel desensitized there, or you haven't had these great, magnificent, transcend transcendental experiences that all these tantric people are talking about, it's like, I'm sure that going on Instagram and reading all these super liberating stories can be quite intimidating at times. Mm -hmm. And can prevent people from want to go there because, you know, they're touching their bodies and they're not having goosebumps or, or Kundalini awakenings and so on. But that's why repetition is important. And that's why sticking with, you know, um, this basic practice that I just shared is, is, uh, is really beautiful because every time will be different. And even if you have achieved um, great expansion in your capacity to connect with orgasmic energy, there might be a day where suddenly there's a numbness again. But then again, the numbness is teaching you something because it's, I see my sexual energy as my greatest master. No, it's like this, my sexual energy. And I've also been cut off from my sexuality in my past to be able to be where I am now. So it's like, yeah, sometimes we have to be completely overwhelmed, not knowing how to guide this energy um, or to lose it in the peak of our fertile years to then need to go on a quest to actually reconnect with it in a conscious way to be empowered by it. So I just wanted to make that point because if there's any form of, of the, like not feeling sensitive, and for men, sometimes this happens um, over through overuse of porn, for example, um, you know, all of these things. It's, it's like, yeah, it just requires intention and persistence in the way that you want to approach it in a new way. Aside of that, because uh, I don't know how much time we have, I know that, you know, these type of topics of like how to heal through pleasure and all of these intimate topics of how you are connected to your sexual energy, these are things that I uh, discuss with my community in my private group. Um, and every Thursday I have a live Q and A. So if there is ever a question that you have that you want answered, um, you know, you can message me privately and it's possible that I'll, I'll just take it into the live so that my community can benefit from the question as well. And obviously all of this can be anonymous, an anonymous. <laughs> um, but, uh, if there's anything you want to share in public, that's also what the group is for. And there's a lot of people sharing very vulnerably because, um, yeah, that's why people come into the group to, to really uh, connect more intimately with themselves and resolve these patterns of the past and also um, whatever it is that the nuances are of what it is that you're attracting in your life or where you're at in the relationship itself. So I just wanted to give that invitation. And I think... Um, yes, and we will be, you know, for people listening on the podcast, in the description of the podcast, you'll find that if you're on YouTube, you know, we'll put that in the description of the video. And if you receive that recording by email, we will be adding, you know, all those links. Uh, obviously, it's a massive topic. We, we try to cover yeah. tonight. We, we try to give some pointers. Uh, there, there's a lot there. Uh, 
I can just say that for me, you know, uh, doing that work was so incredibly powerful. And there's so many bridges with shamanic tradition, uh, traditions or ancient traditions, you know, so it can feel bizarre at the beginning to work with the elements, with our own life, maybe. Maybe it's something we don't do in our tradition or in our culture. We don't know much about it. But when we start reconnecting that to Tantra, which is also extremely ancient, you know, which is not something that is uh, a new thing, um, it really opened doors that I think are much more difficult to open with other modalities. So... I really want to, you know, to add that for people. I encourage you to research, you know, go on Nalaya, you know, Instagram, Facebook page, all of that. Dive in it. And I think what you said is right. It can feel a little bit overwhelming because there's a lot of subjects and a lot of topics and elements to cover. But pick one. Pick one thing that's very alive right now. You know, so as my, my recommendation, like I say, maybe it's a need for safety. Maybe it's a need for, for connection. Maybe it's another type of personal liberation that has nothing to do with a partner that you want to explore that is there and, and try at it because, you know, we can both talk about it a lot, but until you try and you experience it in your body and then you see how powerful it is, you know, it's just going to be a, a talk. So, um, I don't know if you have anything you want to add, Nalaya, before we close, uh, before I thank you for, for tonight or for this morning for you. I don't know. Anything no. we didn't cover? We're like, no, I think we, we talk so, so many things. So, yeah. Uh, okay. I, I think the only, only thing I wanted to say, lastly, because, you know, you, because of what you just said, it's like, uh, I suppose what I did in, in my work when working with Tantra, it's like, all of that sometimes remains a bit vague, right? It's like, it's somehow in the energetic realm. And so when we bring in the, hey, Puja, nice to see you. <laughs> when, we, when we bring in the elements, it becomes tangible. So even people who are not that familiar with shamanic tradition, we are the elements, right? We're surrounded by the elements, like the elements are who we are. And so when we bring in the elements, even if it's your first time sort of interpreting earth, air, fire, and water for yourself, it brings these nuances to something that is quite abstract, which is tantra, into something that you can taste and feel and see. And that's why working with the elements is so powerful, because it's easier to integrate in this tangible, digestible, earthly, daily type of way. Mm. That's the only thing I wanted to add. Beautiful. But, uh, I love it. Yeah, I'm, Thank you. I'm super grateful. And yeah, I always love connecting with you. And yeah, thank you so much. I I also look forward to inviting you onto my podcast. I know. Soon. I love that. I love that. So <laughs> thank you so much for, yeah, for taking the time, waking up really early and just connecting with everyone here. You know, if you have any question, I invite you to go yeah, on Nalaya's page on Facebook. It's a beautiful group. Ask your question there. It's very safe and, you know, it can go really deep. And, you know, and maybe even connect with her, you know, one-on-one -on -one and see, you know, uh, is there something that she can support you with? So thank you so much, everyone, for joining uh, tonight or for listening to this recording. And thank you, Nalaya. Much, much blessing to you. Thank Looking you. Looking forward to connect much. again very soon. Yes. Gracias a todos. You're listening to the Make Love to Life podcast, the place where we uncover all the barriers that prevent you from experiencing deeper intimacy. 
If you are looking to attract love and authentic partnership, then hit the subscribe button and go to my website nalayachakana.com to sign up for my private group Make Love to Life. See you there.